Hey there, and welcome to the memoir, My Dad Wouldn't Write. This is a limited series of conversations between a daughter and a father about the things that make us family and the items in my dad's 82 years that have helped to shape who he is today. You know, he's had this incredible life as a cultural worker, poet, professor, an activist, and mentor, but he wouldn't write a memoir. So this podcast is a way to get those conversations onto tape and to find out exactly what shaped this incredible and complex and far from perfect man that I love, Eugene Benjamin Redmond. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to be radically honest with your father with no topic off limit, well, sit back and enjoy. I think you're going to find this fascinating. All right, we have made it to an auspicious point in the timeline of Eugene Benjamin Redmond. <laughs> so um, at this point, you finished your master's. I had. And, and I done mm-hmm. postgraduate work with Catherine Dunham. Okay, and how did you meet Catherine Dunham? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I... Um, Knew about her. And what year is this? Uh, this is 67. 67. Yeah. I knew about her. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> whenever her name was mentioned, I was kind of happy that I knew I knew about her. At the black movie houses, they had something called shorts. And the shorts weren't the comic. They weren't the cartoon. The black shots were black news. Oh, at all okay. black theaters, movie houses, and between the features, right? They gave you, uh, they gave you news about black troops, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, Josephine Baker and friends, mm-hmm. Joe Lewis, you know. Mary McLeod, Beth mm-hmm. You know, it's just little shots with mm-hmm. news in the theater. All those interesting things. Yes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I knew who Catherine Dunham, when, he, when Catherine Dunham got here, I was one of the few, few people my age who knew who she was. Mm. And for our listeners, uh, you can, of course, look up Catherine Dunham. Um, and I will put um, a link to some resources about her, but she was an incredible dance ethnographer um, who uh, famously choreographed um, Stormy Weather, the right. famous black film that featured uh, Lena Horne, mm-hmm. uh, Travel the World, Cabin in the Sun, Cab- Cabin in the Su- Cabin in the Sky. Cabin in the Sky. Cabin in the Sky. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, had Cabin this in incredible relationship with Haiti where her practice was really kind of refined and enlarged and brought into diasporic focus. Yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, she made this pledge to East St. Louis, Illinois, my dad's hometown, uh, to kind of throw her lot in with them and, and struggle with them for... Um, you know, all the things that cultural arts 
bring positively to a community. Mm-hmm. She set up her dance studio there, uh, brought in drummers and and really um and members of her yes of her of her dance companies mm-hmm. uh from the thirties forward. Yes. So that they could teach. Yes. So Eartha Kitt didn't move. come but Eartha Kitt danced with her so that kind of gives you an idea. When we say names like yeah. Lena Horne, Eartha Kitt, that kind of gives you an idea of the sort yeah. of classic Hollywood, yeah. classic black Hollywood cadre mm-hmm. that she kind of came out of. Mm-hmm. But yes, so you you were one of the few people who knew who she was. Yeah. And um, and so, so and I went to, I mean, I read about her. She had been involved in an incident when she went to the assistance of a young man who had been arrested by the police mm. and he Dale Braddock and uh, he was taken down in jail and she followed and went down and and protested it and the city arrested her <laughs> and then oh, you God. know a couple of years later gave her the key to the city you know? interesting yeah yeah so <laughs> anyway <clears throat> what city is this East St. Louis oh <laughs> It was a white gov- right, right, yeah, yeah, but anyway, so <laughs> so she came, and uh, I went over and sought her out and went to started uh, attending some of her lectures and dance classes, and she her great achievement, Dunham technique mm. is a melding of anthropology and dance mm-hmm. and um she studied, lived in Haiti, and lived in two or three other mm-hmm. Caribbean, uh, West Indian uh, areas, mm-hmm. and wrote monographs and books. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but did, isn't the name of her book Island Possessed? Yeah, Island Possessed. Island Possessed. That's about Haiti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so and, you started to. Uh, you, what's interesting? about you is you always went where the culture was and you were never too proud to seek out mentors. And I think that's so important uh, for young people and people who are coming up that may be listening to, um, you know, to, to see a version of manhood that looks for its own improvement. You know, oftentimes yeah. people are so... Um, I don't know what they are. They just don't want to admit they need help or they, they're they invested in some version of manhood that wouldn't dare ask a woman a question or yeah, <laughs> what it yeah, is. Yeah. But you were, you, you throughout your life looked for the mentors. I did, I did. I, mm-hmm. And uh, one day, one day I was lecturing in class and hmm, it might have been this century. So I was talking and I said, for example, my mentor, mm-hmm. and so there was this hush. So I turned around and looked at the class and <laughs> what's wrong? And they said, you have a mentor? <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, I was in my 60s. Right. And they said, you have a mentor? <laughs> I said, yeah. It just 
done them. Mm. You know, I, I, I what is going on behind my back. So right. I'm <laughs> So I so, said, oh, yeah, you never, you never told however many times. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was talking about that yesterday in the barbershop, mm-hmm. in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, Catherine I, I, Donald. I've been that way, and Catherine Donald. Mm-hmm. So I went over and sought her out, and uh, I had just gotten a master's degree from Washington University. Right. <clears throat> about a year before that or so. And... I was very steeped in the modern poetry, poets and poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I know I knew T.S. Eliot so well until one of my mentors, professors, had said, "Stop reading T.S. Eliot." <laughs> I told you about that. Mm-hmm. You don't read him anymore. And I said, "Why and how long? For how long?" He said, ten years at least." He said, "Preferably forever." <laughs> And I said, well, <laughs> 10 years at least, but perfectly well. And I said, why? He said, everything is coming out of little Elliot. Mm. You know, everything you write. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose that, the opportunity, great opportunity of developing your own voice. Your own voice. Yeah. But mm. anyway, so when I ran into Dunham, one of the first things we talked about was T.S. Eliot. So she had known him and, you know. Wow. And so she was so broad. Mm, just brilliant. Yeah, so broad. So anyway, that was great. So I ultimately uh, worked, uh, sat at her side as she did one piece of choreography after another. Mm-hmm. I was I managed the company, the indigenous company, mm-hmm. which she developed out of East St. Louis and St. Louis, a professional company to travel, and I managed the company on the road. Mm. And... Um, she she would bring in these experts who had their own studios now in Chicago and New York and uh, Detroit and you know Lucille Ellis and Tommy Gomez and Ural Wilson hmm. and Archie Savage major names in dance who had been in her company. Mm-hmm. She'd bring them in to train these people. Mm. And so that's what uh, that's what I did for a couple of years. Uh, it was probably the single most important experience in my life mm. with a mentor. I would it, say. Did this coincide she with your? Because how to cook. Really. How to cook underground? Yeah. Yeah. What she, do you mean, cook underground? Well, put food underground. You dig a hole. Mm. Hawaii and stuff. I mean, but mm-hmm. she, she had. Miss Dunham's main thrust was get to know what she called the farts and grunts of people. Mm. She was an anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And she was she thought she was the only anthropologist, black anthropologist in the United States until she went to a party at Mid Mid and Hershey. <laughs> and she told me I was so jealous. Oh. I thought I I was the only Negro woman. <laughs> with a degree in anthropology. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, of the time, Negro. You know. mm-hmm. And she said, she said, she said, I was jealous. And she said, but uh, she she was such a cute little thing. <laughs> I couldn't stay jealous of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
So she thought she was the only one mm. until she met Zoda Hurst at a party in New York. Uh, Chicago. Chicago. Mm. So, yeah, that, yeah, but I think that was one of the most important. Uh, Maya Angelou ranks up there for for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. And the age, I, the age, there wasn't as much of a difference in age with Maya. Right. And and for different reasons, I know. But I, Maya also was a great cook. Mm-hmm. She was a masterful storyteller. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had stories. You know, toured with Porgy and Bess, and mm-hmm. I mean, just everything. You know, mm-hmm. and and ironically, Dunham got a PhD from the University of Chicago. Mm. Got a master. What's but a PhD? That's the bachelor. And that's a bachelor in fine arts. Interesting. Oh, yeah. nowadays they call the doc- it a BFA. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a yeah, 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 yeah. And, and oh, but she got a doctorate in fine arts. No, not not or a no, bachelor, bachelor in fine, fine arts. arts. Yeah, yeah, so nowadays they call yeah. it a BFA. Yeah. But, but so I hadn't heard of it until I met her. Okay, so when you <laughs> when you so by the time you ran into Donham, do you feel like? Um, her example was part of what kind of also refined your thinking about well, race in the U.S. Ph.B. Mm-hmm. A bachelor of philosophy. Bachelor of philosophy. As a Ph.D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. like a liberal arts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I had never heard of. It hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that we had talked about on an earlier episode was your move. From, in, I mean, to simplify integration to black power, yeah. even though it's more nuanced with you. Yeah. Do you feel like the intervention of Dunham is what led you to that? Because we talked about the, the major single trigger. Okay. Yeah, because. <clears throat> so the man talking about he wanted to hear some black. Poetry, poetry was the was the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, that was up in there. That was up in like <laughs> sixty four. Right, 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 right. Down to six, six four, six five. Okay. <clears throat> Black. <laughs> <clears throat> and <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. So Dunham, because Dunham had all the academic. She had all the academic, all the academic. A credential mm-hmm. and knew all these people. Mm. She knew all the people, including Senghor. Wow. The president Leopold uh, Senghor. Yeah, of, uh, of Senegal. Mm. And um, she'd be interesting. She said, she said, so well, let's just call, she said, let's call. Let's, she said, let's call Jack and, 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 and get him on the phone. And I would say, Jack who? And she would say, uh, who is the guy? Uh, no, not, uh, not Jack. She said, let's call Ted. And, and, she, and, and uh, she, she meant Teddy Kennedy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> or George McBundy, who was mm. head of the Ford Foundation. Mm-hmm. Ms. Dunham had an annually renewable three hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand uh, Ford and Danford 
foundation grant. Okay. And that's how she was able to uh, fund that's the right, Dunham right. And I have right to proposal. And, okay, yeah, yeah. fantastic. In addition to, you know, the wrong poverty money, state of Illinois, because it's attached to SIU, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, you know I, I, just, th- I just had this question pop into my head. You know, I was thinking about what you were saying about Leopold Sinkor, and we know that she um, had these incredible experiences in Haiti, which she documented. So she um, was in a global diaspora mindset, right. which even today is unusual (laughs) because the U.S. teaches us to be so myopic and so concerned with its dramas and traumas. Um, So do you feel like she opened you up to a global idea about blackness as well? Of course, of course. In fact, when I first met her, I had had that, but I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And it hadn't been developed mm-hmm. because because Ladybug, who Ladybug or Ladybird, who was my grandmother's best friend, mm. used to tell me every day as a little boy, neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. She used to say, "Don't you fool around here and get hooked up with one of these girls and start having babies." Are doing anything that's gonna keep you from seeing the world. Mm, and she really? told me almost every day. She said, "Don't you, don't you get fixed in anything around here? You see the world first. You go see the world." And told me almost every day, sitting on a boat. <laughs> and you know, I never really found out where she had got the zeitgeist, where it come from. Mm-hmm. She was kind of semi-sophisticated, you know. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, black women, you know, she really. Mm-hmm. But um, told me that all the time. Don't you get, Don't you get tied down with anything or anybody get you one of these nickel and, job, nickel and dime jobs around here and stay here. You get out in the world and see it. Mm. Said it to me all the time. And then Dunham said to me, Eugene, go see the world. She said, I saw the world. I traveled 60 countries for over 30 years. Mm. Don't get stuck here. By the time I met Miss Dunham, I was in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And I'd been in a wrinkle mm-hmm. and traveled a little bit. You know, I was traveling, developing black study. Mm-hmm. But uh, she said, but no, 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 you go somewhere. And then when I left, Miss Dunham was calling me the other day. So when are you coming back? <laughs> When you come back, to you, is your heart still, are you still committed to St. Louis? I said, yes, ma'am, Ms. Dunham. <laughs> well, when you come in, we going to bring your ass back here. <laughs> and um, anyway, but she's the one, I mean, all the languages, mm-hmm. all the cuisines, you know, the cuisine arts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Dunham technique was, it was uh, kabuki theater. Mm-hmm. It was West African. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was Haiti. Mm-hmm. It was American. It was Voodoo. Voodoo. Mm-hmm. It was it was a uh, boogie down baby in the U.S. Yep. You know? <laughs> and so she, that's to, and it was ballet. Mm-hmm. Ballet. She was close to Eric Fromm, who was the Freud of our day. Mm-hmm. Took us, the leaders, to New York to spend a week with him. 
Mm. I'm overlooking the Hudson. She did that. She just she just called me up and tell me to pack. I would pack, drive to her house, and then she would tell her where we were going. Mm. We're gonna see Eric Fromm. Or she said, or she said, come to my house for dinner and that Nina Simone would be there. Wow. Harry Belafonte would be there. What? Madam Madam Susan Giop. A member of the Senegalese Supreme Court. I mean, she you mm. never knew. Mm. You never knew. Wow. Yeah, I mean everybody. Yeah, and I've been inside of her incredible home, which mm. is now um a museum. Yeah. And I can just imagine because it's it's like a compact mansion. The yeah. way it's with a grand staircase yeah. and <clears throat> lots of yeah. uh African art mm -hmm. and then her um her setup yeah. of like an African hut yeah. village yeah, off the to the side. And her husband did that art the African artisanal village. Yes. And then her yeah. dance studio that's yeah. kind of below and off to the side oh, too. That's right, that's right. So yeah, she had an incredible is that where she used to have her classes during mm -hmm. your time? Yeah, that she had it. a class there, and she had classes in different, she had park and parks and good weather, mm -hmm. and uh, she um, uh, she had them in schools, mm -hmm. programs going everywhere, mm -hmm. in the public schools, mm -hmm. in the churches, mm -hmm. you know, the Y, she had programs everywhere. And you know, I learned, there's so much, it's almost every time I do something of significance, some something that Miss Dunham taught me. I was in the mall one day, mm -hmm. and they were getting ready for the holiday, you know, pageantry. And so there were dancers, high school girl, mostly girls, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so I said, uh, who's in charge? And they said, oh, Mr. So-and-so. He went out to get some mats. And I said, well, you, you all need to stop dancing right now. And they said, why? I said, because this will ruin your feet, your arches. Oh, the concrete? Yeah. And I said, you've got to. And so the guy came in with mats, and I told him, that's not good either. Well, actually, the mats are bad because... There's no there's the wrong texture for mm -hmm. dancing. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, what am I, where did I get this from? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. and I taught to so many dancers who had problems with their legs and feet, like Miss Dunham. Yeah. You know, like uh, the woman uh, out in Roxbury. I can't think of her name right now. But many, most dancers will eventually have some serious problems with their feet. Yeah. And arches and legs. Yeah. And I learned from Miss Dunham. Mm. And I said, do not. I knew that when I was traveling that I had to go ahead. I had to go before the troop and make sure that they built the right kind of A platform. floor and stage, yeah. yeah. They had them or built them. Mm -hmm. And it just faded away, right? Mm -hmm. And on several occasions I have been places and told the dancers, you know, this is bad. Mm -hmm. You don't do mm -hmm. that. Because I don't know a dancer who doesn't have problems, even using those. Mm. You know, Maya, mm -hmm. Maya's knees got the size of her head, mm. blew up the size of her head because mm -hmm. 
she would dance there. She said nobody told her. Mm. She danced on concrete, danced on grass. Seems like that's nice, mm-hmm. you know. No, she said nobody told her that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But done well, with that kind of training, she just knew it all, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I think I think what's really come to the fore in this conversation is is mentorship. Because mm-hmm. then you were briefly mentoring those young dancers that you just mentioned. And that mentorship was passed down to you from Miss Donham. And Miss Donham was mentored by people. And it goes back and back That's and right. back and back and That's back. Right. So um, in this strange and unprecedented time of a global pandemic, hopefully... <laughs> hopefully... Um, your stories have provided some mentorship out there for people. I'm getting so much great feedback and I really appreciate the listeners um, who have taken this journey with us. The journey's not over. My dad is 83 and we've just made it to 1970 at this point. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we got over 50 years left uh, <laughs> to talk through the memoir, My Dad Wouldn't Write. <laughs>